So turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 11, verse 1. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're here, Lord. You're going to speak to us. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. So she probably wasn't there a lot. He had an absent mother. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And, they, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. Poor fella. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah, the mighty warrior, he fled from his brothers and his family and his father and he settled in the land of Tob where there was a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and they followed him. Jephthah's story is much like, not too dissimilar from the story of many people who grow up in the world. We grow up in a world, in a fallen world where there's sin and destruction, the enemy runs rampant in the world and so we face all these negative experiences, right? And what we do is we begin to frame our world around these negative experiences rather than framing our world around God and who he says he is and who he says you are. So think about this. Jephthah, his name means to be free and to loosen, right? He's born into this family. His father, Gilead, his name means to be a healing balm. His father wasn't like that at all. Right? His brothers begin to reject him. His brothers kick him out of the family and say, you have no right to the inheritance. Well, he actually did because the inheritance follows the father's line, not the mother's line. But he gets kicked out of his family. He's a mighty warrior. So he's a very gifted and a very talented man. But he's faced in his life all these issues, all this pain that has come into, a soul, come into his soul and the Bible describes this as an orphan soul. The Bible describes it as brokenness in our soul. Jephthah, was it his fault? No. No. I don't think it was his fault. He was born into this situation. His mother was a prostitute. He was born into this family and he gets kicked out and driven out by the family. Where was his father in this? I do not know. Right? And so there's this stuff that Jephthah goes through. I'm sure that... After this, he makes decisions which are probably that bring pain to him, which are probably his own fault. But there's things, these negative experiences that happen to him, which then create dysfunction in his life. You know, I'm sure he could have had bitterness. So that this orphan soul carries bitterness, unforgiveness, pain. Uh, it, it doesn't see the world the right way. It doesn't see ourselves the right way. It doesn't see God the right way. It's called brokenness in our soul. And what happens is many children of God we come into the kingdom of God. Now think about this. You receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. He comes into your heart and he fills your spirit man. Amen? Amen? But we are a spirit, a soul and a body, right? And so what happens is as believers, we have Holy Spirit living in us. We have the spirit of sonship in us, right? So God kicks out every bit of orphanness within us. We become children of God. But what happens is that we've had negative experiences in our life that begin to shape our soul. So we get born again in our spirit, but God wants that to come through to our soul, to our thinking and our believing and begin to shift our outer world. And I want to show you, look what happened to Jephthah. 
It's a bit of a sad story, and this is what happens when we don't deal with an orphan soul. In Judges 11, verse 29. So remember, Jephthah, he's a mighty warrior, and his name means to be free and to loosen, right? He gets called by his brothers and his family to lead Israel into, into battle against the Ammonites. So obviously, he's, he's a pretty solid bloke. The best fighter in the land, right? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh. He passed through Mizpah of Gilead and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. This is interesting. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. I wonder what he's thinking would come out of his door, out of his house when he returns from battle. So they win the battle, right? They, incredible victory. Jephthah comes home and if you read the rest of that scripture, his daughter is the first person to come out of the door. And Jephthah's made a vow to the Lord and so he kills his only daughter. Crazy, isn't it? How crazy is that? Jephthah has the Spirit of God upon him. He's going into battle. Do you think God approves of Jephthah if the Spirit of the Lord is upon him? I think so. I think God approves of him. I think God says, yep, you've got the victory here, son. But he goes into this battle and he makes a crazy vow. He he doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust himself. This is what the orphan soul does. And so it, make, it can make people make these silly decisions. And he says to God, whatever comes out of my door, I'll sacrifice. And so he has to kill his only daughter. Did God want that to happen? No. See, see the orphan soul will always cause destruct, destruction and dysfunction in our relationships. It destroys the promises of God for your relationships. It destroys God's prosperity and favour and love flowing into your relationships. See, Jephthah, it wasn't his fault. Where did he learn to make vows from? Where did he learn that? He probably learned it growing up in his family. It was probably a wrong understanding of God. It was probably some pain or experience. Maybe he saw his father do it, right? But see, this is what the orphan soul does. It picks these things up. And so what I want to talk to you today about is how to deal with things in our thinking and our believing so that we think like a son. Amen? Amen. See, God wants every little bit of orphan thinking in you, every little bit of not trusting God, of, of bitterness towards someone else, or, you know, I, I call it, you know, or I use this word, I don't particularly like this word, but people call it, you know, getting triggered. And so, you know, someone will say something and all of a sudden it triggers something in you, Right? And you get angry or you get frustrated or, you, or your boss does something at work and all of a sudden you get really annoyed and it ruins the rest of your day because he didn't treat me right or, or you get home and in, in, your, in your marriage or whatever and obviously this never happens to me and, uh, and you know, your spouse does something and then it ruins the rest of your night. Yeah? It's called a trigger. It's called there's things, there can be things in our soul, not in our spirit, right? Remember, Holy Spirit lives in us. But there can be things in our thinking and our believing that Holy Spirit wants to partner with us to shift. He's the spirit of sonship. He reveals the son in us and he pours it out into our soul, into our thinking, into our believing. And then we begin to live and act and think like Jesus. 
Come on, who wants to live and act and think like Jesus? Amen? Amen. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, that all of creation, every single person around you, your world, all your world is waiting for the sons. Think about this. Sons. For the sons of God to be revealed. Not but, hear my heart, it doesn't say believers to be revealed. It doesn't say people of great faith to be revealed, though that's a part of being a son. But it says sons to be revealed. And I would put it to you that one of the greatest gifts you can give the world is your wholeness as a son or daughter of God. That you are a safe, secure and whole person in the love of God. That you're not running around creating havoc. See, Jephthah, he was a mighty warrior, an incredibly gifted and talented person, but there was destruction in his relationships. And this, this problem that he had, that's why we can see people who move in incredible power, who do mighty things for God, but then their home life is a wreck. It's because there's thinking and believing that needs to shift into their hearts. And Jesus said, Jesus was going to the cross and he said, the prince of this world has nothing on me or in me, right? The prince of this world has nothing in me. That means Jesus was whole and safe and secure. The devil couldn't pull any strings throughout Jesus' day to get him acting in unbelief or fear or anxiety or depression or bitterness. The devil couldn't do that and Jesus didn't have the perfect life either. He had a lot of stuff in his life that could have caused a lot of pain and suffering. But he lived in wholeness as a son. So my prayer for you today is that you would choose to pursue this. Amen? This is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to think and act like sons. So are you ready? I just want to show you the problem. When you know the problem, then it's really easy to fix the problem. And then I want to show you how Holy Spirit is working in your life and how we partner with Him so that we think and live like safe, secure, and whole sons. Are you ready? Come on. So turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. We're looking at maybe further. We'll see. And I'll ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That is Holy Spirit. Amen? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's interesting, isn't it? The world can't accept Holy Spirit. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Did you hear that? Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is speaking in this passage of two spirits in the world. When Jesus ascended and went to heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the earth. He is called the spirit of sonship, the spirit of truth. Amen. But there is another spirit in the world called the orphan spirit. So if you look throughout our world, you look at at all the pain, all the dysfunction in relationships in our society, all, and you know what, you can use your imagination. I don't need to go, go into it, but all the evil we see. All the ridiculous stuff we've seen in society, people hurting people, that is the orphan spirit. That is people picking up thinking and believing there's brokenness in their soul and so they're acting out of an orphan spirit. So orphans, if you think of an orphan, they're fatherless. Orphans don't like to submit to direction. 
Orphans want to be independent, do your own thing, right? The problem with that is when we act and think out of an orphan spirit, like Jephthah, will always cause pain and dysfunction in other people's lives. So the spirit of sonship, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. He brings truth into our thinking and our believing to connect us to Father God. Yeah. The orphan spirit, what do you think the orphan spirit does? The opposite. The orphan spirit sows lies in people's believing. The orphan spirit sows lies in people's thinking to disconnect them from Father God. God doesn't exist. If God existed, why would this happen? Does God really love you? You know, you don't feel very loved today. You're sure, you're sure about the gospel of grace. Are you sure Jesus came? Are you sure Jesus is real? God won't care if you do this or that. God won't care if you don't forgive. You know, all this stuff, all this stuff are seeds from the orphan spirit that he tries to plant in people's believing and thinking. Thank God that when you come into the kingdom, the dominant spirit in your life is the spirit of sonship. The orphan spirit is cast out. So he's not on the inside anymore, but he tries to penetrate your mind. That's why we have Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. So Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14. I want to show you what the orphan spirit does, where it comes from, really quickly. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, talks about the fall of Lucifer from heaven. So this is how he became Satan or the devil. He was in heaven, and Ezekiel 28, 14 says that he was anointed as the covering cherub, right? Anointed by God, that was his role, was to cover. Think about that. So he had God's covering in his life of love, of joy, of peace, all that. And then he was meant to cover everything else with that. Pride and iniquity was found in his heart. He fell from heaven. So now think how Satan, he was the first orphan. How does he operate? He now seeks to uncover. He now seeks to uncover people. Bring them out from the covering of God. Bring them out from God's love. Bring them out of God's peace. Bring them out of God's righteousness, right? He will always seek to uncover because he wants to expose people so that we don't get our identity and thinking and believing from God. So God doesn't become our source. All of a sudden, the world becomes our source. So we seek to get everything from everything in the world externally. So we see that. I'll try to cover myself with my gifts and my talents. I'll try to cover myself uh, being an outgoing person, being the funny guy. I'll try to cover myself with my job. So I'll seek identity from my job. So I'm a, I'm a doctor or, or I'm a tradie and that's who I am. See, the problem with that is that identity can always be shaken. And that's why it causes depression and fear and insecurity in people's lives. I remember God spoke to me. This would have been four or five years ago. And he said to me, Dean, you have to run less. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Why? And he says, that's exactly why. Because your identity is in your performance as an, as an athlete and not in me. It was 100% true because I remember I got injured and I was so sad and depressed for weeks because I couldn't run. That's a sign that there is a problem. If you lose your job then, and you're in depression and sadness, it's a sign that your identity is in your job and not in God. That was a good thought. And so we see an example of this. The devil wants to expose us. 
In Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but the devil comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and what does he do? He comes along to them, he sows lies in their thinking to disconnect them from God up here. All of a sudden they become disobedient and they eat of the fruit. Sin comes into their heart. That is the very first time that the spirit of fear came into humanity. They were exposed from God because of their disobedience, right? All of a sudden, who, whoever gave them the idea to run from God? In the garden, what do they do? They run from God and they try to cover themselves, don't they? So fear comes into their heart. Fear will always cause insecurity in us. If you're functioning out of fear, it will produce insecurity rather than security and wholeness as a son or daughter. So fear comes into their heart. All of, all of a sudden, they're insecure about who they are. Or their eyes are open. They can see that they're naked. And they get this thought that maybe God doesn't like us anymore. Maybe we're not good enough for God. All these thoughts, where did that come from? God never taught them that. See, it's the orphan spirit coming into their soul. And they came out, the devil exposed them. They come out of God's covering and they look to cover themselves with what? Fig leaves. Fig, the fig tree is always a picture of humanity in Scripture. So the nation of Israel, Jesus talks about the nation of Israel in the Gospels as a fig tree. That's how they're represented. So Adam and Eve seek to cover themselves rather than running to God and coming under God's covering. Now they've been exposed that there's fear and insecurity in their hearts and they seek to cover themselves with humanity. That's what the orphan spirit does. We want to seek our identity from everything else rather than God. Think about what God did. This is why I love this story. I love this passage. What does Father God do? He doesn't run from them. He's not like, oh, well, they've stuffed up. Catch a lady, you're done. You know, oh, they, you, 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 I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, you really fooled me with that one. That's not God at all. What does Father God do? He pursues them. He comes after them. See, the orphan soul will always think that when you stuff up, when you mess up, God's going to be angry with you and you have to get perfect before you come to God. The reality is that Father God ran to them in the garden. He says, where are you? They're covering themselves with fig leaves, but Father God says, no, no, I'm going to come and cover you again. Come on. See, God comes into the middle of our mess. That's why I love Father God. He's not scared of sin. In fact, Romans says that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Come on. That should encourage every single person in here today because when people have orphan thinking and an orphan soul, we often think, well, I've just got to get this right. I've got to do it in my own struggle, in my own strength, and then God will move in my life. Couldn't be further from the truth. Father God is pursuing every single person today. Come on, like Luke chapter 15. He's the one who leaves the 99 and goes to get the one and bring it back. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, Father God recovers them. He makes a garment for them. He covers them in clothing. And that's a picture of of what he would do. It was a, it, that was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do for us. How did God have to do that? Many people believe that it was the first animal sacrifice. 
to cover Adam and Eve again. And it's a prophetic picture of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says that whoever is baptised into Christ, so that's you, as soon as you believe in Him, baptism is immersion. Your spirit is immersed in Christ. Whoever, bapti- whoever is baptised into Christ has clothed themselves. Interesting language, isn't it? Clothed yourself with Christ. So that means you are clothed with Christ today. He is your covering. Sonship is your covering. You're clothed in the Spirit, but God wants it to flow through your Spirit up into here, into your heart, and into your thinking. Amen? And so I want to show you really quickly. I want to show you, I think this will help people, a few things that the orphan thinking can do in our relationships, and then it will take me not long to get to the solution. Amen? So orphans think like, think of Jephthah. This was how he was thinking, right? All this pain, negative experiences in his life, not his fault, okay? And see, God understands that. The church has often preached that you've got all these problems in your life and you better fix it up. But God understands what we've been through. God understands how we grow up in a fallen world. And so he comes in his mercy and his grace to shift our thinking and believing, amen? So the orphan thinking... We cover and protect ourselves rather than letting God protect us, right? So in our relationships, this means we are often not vulnerable. We struggle to forgive people and let God handle it, right? We have to take justice into our own hands rather than trusting God. Rather than trusting God to do it, we have to take it into our hands. This person wronged me, I better get him back. We find our security in the world rather than God. We put up walls of protection in our relationships rather than boundaries. Think about this. Walls keep people out. Boundaries show people where the doors are. The second thing, we value our value, our approval and our worth becomes related to our performance, right? So we live for our inheritance in Jesus. We're co-heirs with Christ, but we live for that rather than from it. We live for God's blessing rather than from God's blessing. We chase God's blessing rather than realising that God's blessing is chasing us. Interesting. We relate to God based on how good we've been. <laughs> Who's done that? Yeah, oh, you're, all, you're all perfect. You are all amazing. Do you want to come up here and preach to me, please? I'll tell you what. We can feel distance from God and we can feel, often feel like when we're not performing well, He's angry with us. When we're not doing enough works for Him, He's not happy with us. Often our prayer life will lack intimacy and authority. And often you can tell in your prayer life because you're asking God for a lot of things rather than rising up in the power of Holy Spirit and proclaiming it forth in your life. Our value of others is based on their behaviour. So we then, because we value ourselves based on our own behaviour, we then to relate to everyone around us based on how they're performing towards us. So if they're not loving, that projects onto us. And all of a sudden we think there must be something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. And we begin to judge them according to the world standard rather than seeing them through eyes of faith and the eyes of love. 
We're hard on ourselves when we fail. And therefore, we are very hard on others. Or you can go the opposite way, and we're too easy on other people. We don't want to challenge in love because we were too hard on ourselves. I remember, I remember I grew up playing, playing basketball, and so you know, a, lot of, a lot of my identity became related to my performance. And I had a really, I'd call him, to be honest, a brutal coach. And so you know, I'd be out on the field, and I, I'd, it'd be one of those things, I'd get out on the court, and I was like a, an eighth or ninth player. So I'd get a little bit of court time, right? And I'd get out there, and uh, you know, I'd make one mistake, one little mistake. All of a sudden, once I made that mistake, I'm like, I'm done. And he'd pull me off the court. And that was the type of coach he was. He was. And this is why we often, things happen in our thinking and our believing, that's not even our fault, but then it begins to dictate the way we believe, the way we approach God, who we think we are. And so what do you think that produced in me? Insecurity, fear of failure. And what happens when people have fear of failure? You end up performing worse and then you end up saying, well, I don't even want to do it. And so I remember thinking, well, I don't even want to be out there anymore because if I stuff up, then I'm gone. And then I remember that flowed into my life and then by the time I'm 19, 20, there's fear of failure and so if you step out and do something and you fail, I didn't want to do that then. I didn't want to go for that job or I didn't want to do this because what if I failed? So that's what orphan thinking does in us. One little thing, these negative experiences in life. Thank you that I'm not like that anymore. The third thing is our predominant perspective becomes about ourselves. So we, we, look, we look more to what we can get in a relationship rather than what we can give in a relationship. We want God to bless what we are doing rather than doing what God blesses. Our opinion always needs to be heard, and if it's not, then we want to keep forcing our opinion. In relationships, we feel like we always have to be right, and it's very difficult for us to say sorry when our perspective is about us. And we often don't want to take responsibility for the problems in our relationship. We often want to blame them on the other person. Did that hurt? It hurt me a little bit. So these are all things, and I'm sure there's more, but I've probably caused enough pain. I've probably caused you to be, you know, think too much about yourself. These are all things that the orphan soul can produce in our life. And so if you identify with any of those, you know what? That's completely fine, because Holy Spirit's going to shift that right now in the next 15 minutes. Amen. Holy Spirit's going to come as a spirit of sonship today. He lives in you. You're going to walk out of here as a whole, safe, and secure son. Amen? Come on. So turn with me really quickly. And here's the thing, Romans 8 verse 5, but here's the thing, right? Whenever you partner with God in your thinking, I believe God comes and heals your heart. I think that's how it works. So I'm very conscious of people today, and you've been in pain in your life, I believe when you make the commitment to God to say, you know what, there's things in my believing and thinking about myself and about you that need to shift. When you do that, Holy Spirit then comes and He gives you a whole heart. He begins to heal up your heart. Amen? And we need people with healed hearts. So Romans 8 verse 5, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds 
Flesh is, you can translate that as the world, right? Minds is the Greek word cardia, mind or heart. So if you were Hebrew, um, you would talk about the heart. If you were Greek, they would talk about the mind. Those who live according to the world, so I'll just say it like that, might help people, have their, mind, have their hearts set on what the world desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their hearts or minds set on what the Spirit desired, desires. The, word, the mind governed or surrendered or submitted to the world is death. The mind submitted or surrendered to the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. That means life and peace wherever I go. The wholeness that's within me, that is within me, begins to flow out of me into my relationships and into my world. I'll become a loving and a safe, secure person that people want to run to and get advice and wisdom from. Amen? Amen. So here's the first point. First key, I've got three keys that God's going to use in your life when we partner with Him. First one is you surrender your thoughts. Uh, I know it sounds fun. It can often be hard. It can be a little bit painful sometimes when we have a thought and we think, yeah, God, that's probably, probably not of you. But we have to surrender them. The first step is surrender. Think about this. Orphans don't want to surrender. The orphan spirit doesn't want to surrender. If there's orphan thinking in me, it does not want to surrender. Why? Because orphans don't want to be led. Sons want to be led. The sons of God are led by what? The Spirit of God. But see, orphans don't want to be led by... It's, it's difficult for an orphan to relate to authority. We want to be independent. We want to be ourself, our own person. We don't want to come under the covering of Father God. We don't want to listen to the advice of God or from godly people around us, right? And so it says in this scripture that the mind submitted to the Spirit is life and peace. So we need to surrender our thought life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, there was a man called Jabez. I love this passage because Jabez, his name literally means pain, birthed in pain. This man, his mother named him Jabez because he was birthed in her pain. Not a great start to life, is it? Not a very good start to life when your mother calls you pain. Doesn't give you a lot of hope. You can wonder what it was like at home, right? But Jabez, he cries out to God. I want to read this for you really quickly. He says, O Lord, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God said no. And God granted his request. See, Jabez realised that there was pain in his life. He realised that there was stuff in his past that was probably holding him back. He realised that there was pain or there was insecurity or fear within him where that, that was defining his life. And so he cries out to God. He says, Lord, I'm surrendering to you. God, stretch me, increase me, enlarge me so that I will be free. That's a great level of surrender right there. And what does God do? God grants his request. So that tells me whenever I surrender to God, God will always come in His fullness and bring a change and a shift in my life. Come on. That's how good God is. He's not a harsh father. Many people think if I surrender to God, then I'm going to live this really hard life. I have to give up everything. It's not what God's like. He, he, he delights in the prosperity of His servants. 
He wants his sons to live in freedom, his sons and daughters. Amen. That's you. That's everyone today. Come on. Yes, I'm looking at all of you, every person. Amen. See, Jabez realized that if he didn't surrender his thought life to God, if he didn't do that, the pain of his past would define him rather than the prophecies of his future defining him. See, it's really important that whatever you go through, God wants to turn that pain into a prophecy. So all of a sudden, you'll see this in people's ministries, but they've gone through a negative experience in life and God will often shift that then into their ministry to bring freedom to other people. So Jephthah was called to, lo- to, be, to loosen people, to be free. He goes through this pain. I can guarantee you the call upon his life was to bring freedom to people who were in pain. He was a warrior in battle. Amen? Don't let the pain of your past define you, define your identity and who you are. Let Jesus do that. Let the spirit of, sh- of sonship do that. He's the revealer of truth. Amen? So we surrender our thoughts to God. Second thing. Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. There's, there's the fear, right? Fear produces insecurity in me. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. So Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in you. And he cries to my spirit and then my spirit cries to Father God, Abba, Father. Think about that. That is the way a child would relate to a father. The intimacy that a child has with a father is the intimacy that you're meant to have with Father God today. How intimate, if you're a father today and you have a child who's five, six, seven years old, how intimate and loving you are with them is what God wants to be with you. And our spirit, Holy Spirit cries to us and then our spirit lets out a cry to God, Father God, that's the spirit of sonship. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, so we have an inheritance. That's good, isn't it? Why? Because orphans don't often have inheritance. Like Jephthah, he got kicked out. But we have an inheritance. What's our inheritance? We are co-heirs with Christ. Come on. That literally means everything that Jesus has, you have today. Imagine, just use your imagination right now. Everything that Jesus has inherited from Father God, I mean, think of Jesus. He is God Himself, amen? Everything that He has is yours. Wow. You're an inheritor of the kingdom. Come on. And so here's the second thing. We need to agree with God's testimony about us. Or I say, I agree with God's testimony about me. Holy Spirit lives in me. So if Holy Spirit lives in me, if He lives in you, it says He's speaking to you every single day. He is speaking to you. Yeah, yes, I know. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes you're not listening. But He's speaking to you. His voice is within you every single day telling you that you are God's beloved child. There is a voice in your spirit, man. It's called the inner witness. Proverbs says that our spirit is the candle, the fire of the Lord the Holy Spirit living in us. And He is speaking to our spirit every single day that you're loved, that you're safe, that you're whole, that you're secure, that you're healed, that you're a son, that you have an inheritance, that you're called to be prosperous, you're victorious, you're a conqueror. The storm doesn't get in you, you overcome the storm. You're full of peace, full of joy, you can forgive. 
Oh, don't want to forgive. It's a difficult one. You can forgive. Why? Because you've got Holy Spirit living in you. He's testifying to you. He's speaking to you every day. How does he speak? I was, taught, I was teaching our youth about this the other day. If it's, and anyway, if it's condemning, if it doesn't make you feel victorious, if it makes you feel anxious, if it causes you to lose peace, this voice, if it makes you feel guilty, full of shame, full of insecurity, not hopeful for your future, then I can guarantee you right now that it is not God. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of something else. Either yourself or the orphan thinking that can be within us. Right? The voice of Holy Spirit, how does He speak to us? It says it right here. He speaks to us in the language of a father to a son. That's incredible. So right now, every single person right now you know the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. Right now you can hear it. Why? Because it's the voice of love. It's the voice of passion towards you. It's a voice of mercy and grace and truth. A voice of victory in your heart, in your spirit, man. Come on. That's Holy Spirit. So stop tuning into the voice of an orphan and start tuning into the voice of sonship. Amen. That builds you up. Come on. So we agree with Holy Spirit's testimony about us. We're sons, we're heirs, we're loved by God every day. I don't feel it. God, I wake up in the morning. This person's ticking me off. This person's doing this. Holy Spirit's speaking to me. It's okay. You're loved. You're safe. You're secure. You don't have to act out of fear and insecurity. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So how do you agree with the Holy Spirit's testimony? You hear His inner witness, His voice, and any thought that is opposing to that, you are actually meant to take that captive. You're meant to grab a hold of that. So don't just think that thought, God doesn't love me today. Don't just think that thought and then move on with your day and not do anything with it. You take every thought captive, you grab a hold of it like you would whatever, You take every thought captive and you bring it obedient to Jesus. And then Jesus will smash that thought. And then you take the thoughts of God in the written word and in the spoken word of God. So the rhema word of Holy Spirit in us, that's his spoken word. And then the logos word, the written word of God. And you take that and you kill every bit of orphan thinking in you. Saturate every bad thought with the thoughts of God today. Come on. Did you know that the human brain is wired so that after 21 days, your your thinking about a thought can completely change? After 21 days. So that tells me, if I put this into practice today, if I'm full of insecurity in my heart, I feel like I'm not loved by God, I feel like there's a problem in a relationship and I can't forgive, if I take the Word of God and I fill that with His thoughts and say, I can forgive Jesus because you've forgiven me, I forgive that person. And every day I have that thought, I fill, this, I fill those thoughts with the Word of God. 21 days. That's how God's wired us. Three weeks. That's not very long to start thinking and believing and acting like a son. I believe when you partner with Holy Spirit, it's a lot quicker than that. Come on. A lot quicker. So John chapter 8, verse 31 says, You abide in His Word. You shall know the truth, and then the truth shall set you free. 
right? You abide in His Word. You shall know the truth or reality, and then that reality will set you free. So like King David, I hide His Word in my heart. Every day, every day I'm letting Holy Spirit speak to me. Every day I'm declaring the Word of God in my life. I'm loved, I'm safe, I'm whole, I'm secure. Amen? I'm covered by you, God. I come under your covering of joy. I come under your covering of peace. I clothe myself in that today. Amen? And the last thing, Romans 8, 37, the best point. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Give us a yell for that one. There you go. You still got it in you. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, any powers, pretty much nothing. I could keep going. Pretty much, there's nothing, right? Believe me, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Third thing is, so first, I surrender my thoughts to God. Second, I agree with God's testimony about me. And third thing is, I believe in the Father's unconditional love for me. Unconditional love. What does unconditional mean? Yes. No conditions. No strings attached to God's love. Many people think that, that God places, places conditions or, or things upon His love that, yeah, 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 God does love me, but if I do this, then He won't love me. That's ridiculous. No conditions. I believe in the Father's unconditional love for me. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate me from the Father's love. That means sin cannot separate me. That means my worst day cannot separate me. That means all the, all the bad experiences of my past can never separate me from the Father's love. No angel, nor demon. Wow. How amazing is that? That's so good that, Father, you love us unconditionally. This last point is really important. Where do, where do children get their identity from? Parents, predominantly the Father. The role of the Father is to call out the identity and the gifts and the talents of the children. So orphans, what do you think they rebel against? If there's orphan thinking in me, what's it going to rebel against? The Father's love. So that means I need to saturate myself in the Father's love. First, John chapter 4 verse 18 says that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Orphans will always think, if there's orphan thinking in me, it always thinks that if I do something wrong, if I'm not being good enough, God's going to punish me. If I'm thinking like that, then I'm acting out of fear. God must not be blessing me this week because I'm probably not performing enough. That's acting out of fear and insecurity as an orphan. But see, perfect love, the Father's love, when I receive that in my heart, when that begins to pierce my mind, when it begins to get in here, all of a sudden it casts out all fear and insecurity within me and then I'm able to live as a safe and a whole and a loved son or daughter. Amen? Come on. That's what creation is groaning for. And many people, they can relate to Holy Spirit and we relate to Jesus well. You know, Holy Spirit, many people get that He's he's the third person of the Trinity here on earth. The power of God is a person. Jesus, I can relate to Jesus, right? He saved me, He came for me, He loves me. But then when it comes to Father God, it's like people have a disconnect in their thinking. It's like people think, oh, it's a Father. We can often put our own perspective of our own Father onto Father God. So if our own father was absent or wasn't there, 
or, or didn't give the love or, or, or any of that that you needed as a child, you'll place that onto Father God. This is why this last point, don't miss this last point. This last point is so important that every day I'm lavished in your love, Father. Thank you that you love me. See, Jesus, He was the perfect representation of Father God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do, it's not my works, it's the Father working through me. So when people were healed, when people were delivered, when people were set free from sin, when Jesus didn't condemn people but showed grace towards them, that was the Father moving through Him. So I can put it to the bank that Father God is going to act towards me exactly like Jesus will, full of love and grace and mercy. And so we receive that today. Amen? So we take these three things. We surrender our thoughts. We agree with Holy Spirit. And we believe in God's unconditional love for us. Like Jephthah, every person, we're called to live in freedom. And what Father's doing in our hearts right now, what God wants to do in you, is He wants to shift. He wants to shift those thoughts that you think about yourself, about other people, about who He is. And He wants you to partner with Him so that there will be, so be the truth revealed in you, so that you'll begin to think like a son. So it's the Romans 8.19 that the Son begins to be revealed in you. Amen? So lift your hands with me. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to change. We thank you, Father, that there's so much more for every single person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that wherever your Spirit is, you release freedom into people's lives. And so I declare upon every single person today, that the grace of God is overflowing in your life. I decree that you are reigning and ruling in life through Jesus Christ. I decree that your thinking and your perspective is shifting to begin to believe and think like sons and daughters of God. And I command those lies from the enemy that have tried to come, that have tried to pierce your mind, that you're not good enough, lies of shame, lies of fear, lies of insecurity, I command them to come off people's lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. We proclaim freedom. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Do your work, Lord. Do your work, Holy Spirit. As people go out this week, I see people going out this week and you're going to see God in a whole new way. I see people going out this week and you're going to begin to function in a whole new perspective of who you are and of who God is. And I also see over people that God is bringing, filling the confusion with His love. There's people who you are confused about your past and God is filling that with His love. He's filling that with His grace today. And so we surrender, Holy Spirit. Every thought we surrender to You, Lord. And I thank You, Father, for a fresh baptism of Your love today over people. Thank You, Holy Spirit that you are so passionate, that you have faith in people today. That Jesus, you have faith in every single person today. Thank you, Holy Spirit.